Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Good to hear some of you are with us. Um, I'm glad to be with you here today. Uh, Again, if I don't know you, my name is Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, And I would love to to get to know you if you would come and and introduce yourself after the the service. Uh, As we get into things here today, uh, let me just say that today it is my prayer that Jesus would be magnified and that the beauty of Christ would cause true worship to him with our entire lives. If you're here and in need of a savior, I would invite you to delight in his word today. Let's open with a word of prayer. God, again, we thank you that we can be gathered today in your presence and just hear your word preached. God, as we deal with a difficult text, would you give us soft hearts to receive it? Would we... Just de- delight in the, the goodness that you have um, in your plan for, for marriage um, and what it means. And would we, uh, again, just reflect on the goodness uh, of Jesus uh, and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins, God, and that you are alive and living. You did not stay dead, but you raised from the grave. And um, we, we delight in that today. God, would you um, humble us and, and give us hearts to hear today. We love you, Christ, in your name. Amen. All right, well, I wonder if you have ever broken something of value. If, who here has broken something that's been kind of valuable? Ruthie raised and then was like, I don't know if I want to really confess to that. Um, I, I, when I was growing up, um, I broke something that was of value to my parents. So I grew up with siblings. Um, I have an older sister and I have a younger brother. And my brother and I would often wrestle for fun, right? I like to, I like wrestling with him because I was a lot bigger than him, still am. Um, and so I pretty much always won. Um, and so anyways, uh, one, of the, one day uh, me and my brother, we're in uh, parents' living room, right? And we're still living at home, right? This is years and years ago, right? Um, and... and we're in our parents' living room. We're, we're kind of goofing off, not paying too much attention to our surroundings. And so what we were doing is we were, like, climbing onto the couch, and we were, like, seeing who could push each other off the couch. Sounds safe, right? Um, nothing wrong could happen with that. Uh, one of these times, so uh, we would both get up there and kind of just wrestle with each other and push each other, right? Um, one of these times, I give him a shove, and I pushed him a little bit too hard. And so he fell off of the couch, and he landed on a glass table that we had in the living room. Um, he's fine. He went through the table, though, and he broke it. Um, and he didn't have any serious injuries, so he's, he's good, um, except he's got a huge gash on his No, he doesn't. He's fine. Um, <laughs> but he was obviously hurt, right? Um, I, and so I don't know if you've, you've hurt your siblings before. But this is pretty much how it goes, right? As soon as you realize that they're hurt, what do you do? You're like, oh, no. 
And you don't really care for their safety, right? What do you care that's going to happen? You say, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, right? And uh, as, as what happens with my brother, he let out this huge wail. And uh, parents find out what you did and you're grounded, right? And, and so I got in trouble that day because I hurt my brother. Uh, and also that I had broke something of value to my parents. And I tell that story because it's a little bit of what we're talking about today. We're talking about breaking things of value. And we're talking uh, about that within the context of relationships. So we're going to be talking about broken relationships today. And we're talking about them within marriage. We're also talking about them within our relationship with God. But what we're going to see today is that God has a beautiful design for marriage and for our relationship with him. And so we're going to explore that a little bit more as we go through our text today. Um, Today we're continuing in our series in the book of Matthew. If you're new, the gospel of Matthew is a book in the Bible that goes through the story of Jesus. And so it tells of his life. Um, It's filled with many of Jesus' teachings, the parables he told, and the miracles that he did. And it culminates around his his, his death and resurrection. And there's a, a central theme that runs throughout this book. And that is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And so in this book, what we see is is Jesus contrasted to the kings uh, that ruled in his day. And we see that the message that Jesus continued to share throughout his life was that the kingdom of God was at hand. God's kingdom was about to be ushered in and Jesus was about to do that. And we see that at the end of this book, Jesus is crowned king. But it's not exactly how we would expect, right? Instead of a crown of gold, he's given a crown of thorns. Instead of a throne, he's seated upon a cross. And so all throughout this book, we're given pictures of what the kingdom of God looks like and what it does not look like. It is not this picture of prosperity and and riches and how we would view wealth. Rather, it is a picture of delighting in Jesus, no matter our circumstances, and being satisfied with his rule and reign in our lives, even in the darkest situations. And so this is what a lot of what we're, we're focusing on as we go throughout this series in Matthew. Let's uh, read our text for today to begin. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be for today. If you don't have a Bible on uh, the welcome table where you came in, there are uh, a number of Bibles. You can feel free to to grab one of those. Um, And if you don't own a Bible, you can feel free to keep that. That's our gift to you. It will also be on the screen for us here today as well. So again, Matthew chapter 19 is where we're going to be, and we're going to begin in verse 1 and go till verse 12. This is what it says. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, 
Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, this receive it. All right, let's dive right in there. So as we just read, we, we begin with this interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, they approach Jesus and they ask him about this question about divorce, right? Before we get there, though, we, we need to see a few things. So there's a couple things that, that I want us to point out to, uh, for us to begin. So first thing that I want us to see is this. How, how do the Pharisees approach Jesus? Right? How, do they, how do they approach him? What is their heart behind their question? If we look at verse 3, it tells us, it says, they came up to him and they tested him. They tested him, right? So are they really looking for the answer to this question? No. Right? They're looking to try to get Jesus to slip up. They want to catch him contradicting the scriptures so that they can make him look like a fool. They, they want to embarrass him in front of everyone. Okay? Second thing. What do we see? Verses 1 and 2 says this. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee, entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. It says, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So what is the, what's the context here? What's going on? Jesus, as he's done many times in the past, is healing people. So he's amongst a, a crowd of people that have been seeking him, who, who recognize that he, they need to be healed and that Jesus can do so. And so there's a, a group of people who seek him to be healed. But also there are a group of people who seek to try to trap him, who have no interest in being healed. And so right away, this story is setting us up to tell us something about these Pharisees. It, it points to the fact that they were the ones who really needed healing. They're the ones who, who need to be healed. Maybe not physically, but they're the ones that have sick hearts. Because despite all the good that Jesus is doing around them, they're more interested in tripping him up to make him look stupid. Last thing I want us to see before we get into this a little bit further. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus is on his way from Galilee to Judea. So Galilee is in the north and Judea is a little bit more in the south. So geographically speaking, what's happening here is Jesus is getting closer and closer to the place where he's going to die. 
And so what we're beginning to see is the, the tension that is building as he gets closer to Jerusalem. Jesus is continuing to, to heal people. So nothing has changed with what Jesus is doing. But the emphasis on the healings we see is a little bit less, right? Instead of the emphasis on, on the healings, we see that it's like designated to, to one little verse. We see the emphasis is a little bit more on the reaction of the people. And, and as Jesus gets closer and closer to Jerusalem, where he will ultimately be killed, the, the tension gets stronger because more and more we see that people are starting to reject him. And so as we continue in this series, it's important to, to, to pay attention as this tension builds. We see Jesus rejected, and yet we also see his plans for salvation accomplished within that. And so with that said, let's continue with our, our text for today. Again, we have this interaction between the Pharisees and Jesus. And so they ask Jesus, they say, it is, a, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? It's lawful to, to divorce one's wife for any cause. Their, their question is this. Can I get a divorce for any reason? Right? Any reason I want. Can I, can I get, divorce my wife for any reason? So they're looking to divorce if and whenever they want. Um, if you remember from a few months ago, we went through chapters 5 to 7 of of Matthew, which are uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And there's a section uh, in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus addresses divorce. So David preached for us about that. Uh, and one thing he mentioned was that during that time, there, there were two trains of thought about divorce in Jesus' day. Two, two uh, ideas concerning divorce. One, one thing he mentioned was that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, one taught that the, the only reason that you could divorce your wife was on grounds of sexual sin. Okay, so the only reason for divorce in, in this case, one, one group said, would only be in case of sexual sin. The other idea, which had become the more prominent view in Jesus' day, basically argued that a man could divorce his wife for nearly any reason. If you wanted a divorce, you could come up with something wrong with your wife in order to get a divorce. And so I read a commentary this week, and it gives reasons that a man could use to divorce his wife. Um, I'm going to read a little bit for us, just as a little bit of a warning it gets pretty wild. Um, there's some pretty crazy stuff you'll, you'll see as we, we read it. But here's a little bit of what it says. It says, The Mishnah stated that a man could divorce his wife if she were barren, if she became deaf, mute, or if she had epilepsy, tetanus, warts, or leprosy. If her husband considered her lazy, he had the prerogative to divorce her. Rabbinic law also stated that certain physical defects in the wife were so offensive that they were legitimate grounds for divorce. Consequently, a man could divorce his wife if she had a head that was wedge-shaped, turnip-shaped, or hammer-shaped, if, or if her head was otherwise malformed, such as sunk in or flat at the back. He could divorce his wife if she had poor posture or had thinning hair. He could divorce her if she had no eyebrows, only one eyebrow, or bushy eyebrows. He could divorce her if she had a pug nose. The condition of her eyes was particularly important. If she had eyes too high or too low, if she were cross-eyed, had no eyelashes, had eyes of two different colors, watery eyes, or eyes big as a calf or small like a goose, 
any of these justified divorce. The man could divorce his wife if her nose were too big or too little, her ears were too little or too floppy, if she had an overbite or underbite, missing teeth, a poor figure, a swollen belly, a protruding navel, oversized or damaged sexual organs, a dark complexion, bony ankles or knees, swollen feet, if she were bow-legged, suffered from swelling of the big toe, that's gout, I've had that, if her heel had protrusions, if the sole of her foot was was as wide as that of a goose, or if she were ambidextrous, a man could divorce his wife if she ate something he had forbidden her to eat, or if uh, the, the, she visited the home of her parents, or if against her husband's wishes, the in-laws moved into the same city to be near their daughter. This goes on for a little while. We'll stop there. I think you get the point. I probably have many of those physical defects, um, but I'll make the point here that this commentary makes about this. If this were not so sad, this would be comical. It is almost comical how insane this is. What a violation of these poor women. How degrading it is for men to say, if I am not happy with my wife, then I can divorce her for any reason. And yet, to make this fair towards women, rather than preserving marriage, our culture has decided that both men and women can get divorced for any reason. We call it no-fault divorce. Both men and women can get a divorce if they're unhappy, if the woman or man gets too fat, if the man or woman is deemed to be too lazy, and we call this equality. And what Jesus says is, that is not how it is supposed to be. That is not how I designed marriage to be. That's not what God intended for your marriage. And he refers to God's design for marriage when he created it in Genesis. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus' appeal is to God's design for marriage. He says, God made marriage for unity. Man is not meant for divorce. Man is meant to hold fast to his wife, to become one. And what this means is that we put aside our selfish desires to serve the other. God designed marriage not for our own self-serving happiness, but for the joy that comes with serving the other. God's design for marriage means we work through our problems together, not just give up on the other when problems emerge. God's design for marriage is that there, if there's something that we don't like about the other, we bear with them. And if that's sin, we kindly tell them and help them work through that. And so the picture of marriage is unity not separation. And at the same time, marriage is much more than this. Right? God's design for marriage isn't just a, a nice thing that we should do because he says so. God designed marriage so that it looks like Christ's love for the church. That, that's what you are modeling to the church when you get married. The love of God for his bride, the church. A love that compelled Jesus to, to come to earth and to die for her sins, not divorce over them. 
a love that redeems his bride, not condemns her, a love that patiently bears with his bride, not abandoning her. This is how we ought to view marriage because this is how God designed it, for unity, not separation. Two become one. And so the, the Pharisees, they hear this, and, and they come back at, at Jesus. They, they want to attack him. And this, they ask him this question, and this is where they're trying to trap him. Right? So listen to what they say. They say, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? What are they saying here? Jesus, are you really contradicting Moses? Are, are you really going against the law? That's God's word. Moses commanded us to give a certificate of divorce. It says so in Deuteronomy. And so we can and will divorce whenever we want. And Jesus says, Moses commanded you nothing. You were never commanded to divorce. Moses permitted you to divorce because of the hardness of your heart, because of your sin on the condition of unfaithfulness. But this was not God's design for marriage. And so these people hold on to divorce stronger than they hold on to their marriage. And Jesus points out, hold fast to your wife instead of your made-up laws saying that you can divorce her. Jesus gives this condition for divorce. He says, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, I'll say a couple things about this. Um, we've already established that marriage is meant to be a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. It's meant to display the unity that God intended. And so he says, if someone has broken that bond in marriage if they're seeking to form that bond with someone else, then it may be grounds for divorce. Again, we need to be careful to see that God's design for marriage is not divorce, but may be permitted in cases of unfaithfulness. But he goes on to add that if you, you divorce your wife for any other reason than this and you remarry, then you are being unfaithful to her. You commit adultery, uh, adultery if you are willing to give up on your relationship that easily. What, what God has joined, let not man separate. Um, last week, we talked about Peter, and he had a question uh, to Jesus. He said, how many times should I forgive my brother? As, he says, as many as seven times. And Jesus' response essentially is, forgive him over and over. He says, look at how many times you have been forgiven by God. Forgive like that. Now, how much more ought we forgive our spouse? This is more than a brother. This is someone who you've made a lifelong commitment to. This is someone you've entered into a covenant with. It's not just a contract, right? A contract says, you mess up and I'm out. But a covenant says, I'm in this for good. No matter what happens, no matter how bad you messed up, no matter what you look like, no matter if you've embarrassed me, I promise to keep my end of the deal because that's the type of love that Christ has shown me. Over and over, I sin. And over and over, he forgives me. Bring it back to this condition of unfaithfulness just for a minute. And one thing I want to avoid here is this. I think the, the, the temptation 
uh, here is, is to see the exception, to see how uh, Jesus says you can divorce uh, for, for unfaithfulness. And we want to say this. We want to say, well, what about this? What are, are there grounds for divorce in this situation? What about abuse? What about neglect? And, and let me just say, those are all valid questions, right? We live in a culture very impacted by broken relationships and divorce. The culture in Jesus' day was impacted by it, and generations to come will continue to be impacted by broken relationships. And I believe the Bible has answers and wisdom for those questions. And so you've, if you have earnest questions about that, I would be happy to address some of those at your convenience. But I think if we spent our time together hopping around at what the Bible says, every passage says this about divorce, this about divorce, this about divorce, I think we would be doing this text a little bit of a disservice because I think that would be missing the point. Jesus is not meaning to give uh, a reason for every uh, 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 type that, that might justify divorce. And, and in fact, that's not the point at all. Let, let's zoom out here for a second, right? Take, a, take a, a look at the bigger picture. What is happening here? What's the context of this again? So all of this is happening, as we mentioned, as, as Jesus is healing people right in front of their eyes. And yet the Pharisees are too blind to recognize that God is in their midst. They have hardened their hearts towards him by propping up their own laws that serve themselves, not others. And they're trying to trap God by making him look stupid in order for them to keep those laws. And what we're seeing here is a broken marriage between God and his people. Jesus is addressing a people who are divorced from their God. People who don't care about God's ways. They care about preserving their traditions and their laws that benefited them. They don't care for their wives. They don't care about the goodness of marriage. They care about protecting themselves and the structures that they've built if and when they want to divorce their wives. And what we're seeing are a people who are unfaithful to God. Um, in the mornings, I've been reading through the book of Isaiah with my daughter, Skylar. And we read this the other day. This is from Isaiah 1, and it talks about how Israel had turned away from God. I'll read it a little bit for us today. It says, How the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. So what is this saying? Israel, who once was faithful, has become unfaithful. They've become a whore, as he puts it. And if you've ever had to explain to a seven-year-old what a whore is, that's a fun conversation. Um, I shared this a little bit before, um, but I, I remember when I told her what it was, um, I said, do you know what that means? And she said, no. And I was like, all right, let's talk about it. Um, so I said, it's someone who doesn't love their spouse anymore, and they go after, some other, after other people, right? And she said, oh, no, that is so sad. And I said, yeah. And she goes, you mean like they go on dates with someone who's not their husband? And I said, yeah. And she said, 
oh, that is really sad. And I said, I know it is. And that's the point, right? That's the emotion that this should elicit in us. When, when people are unfaithful to God, it is sad. It is heartbreaking. It tells us that, that, that God's people, this, this passage tells us that God's people were designed to be faithful to him. They were supposed to be righteous. They were supposed to be loyal like princes. They were supposed to care for the fatherless and the widow, and they don't. They're, in fact, the complete opposite. They only care about themselves. And in a very similar way, this is what is going on in Jesus' day. His people do not care for the welfare of others. They don't care for the fatherless. They don't care for the widow. They don't care for the divorced wife. They don't care for justice or righteousness. Their silver has become worthless. What was made to be rich in flavor is now diluted. They have become unfaithful to God. They have left him. They've divorced themselves from his good ways in order to preserve a corrupt tradition that they've built. And so for us here today, like we see in Isaiah, a faithful people care about the things that God cares about. They care about righteousness. They care about the needy, the despised in the world. That's what a faithful church looks like. And so our heart ought to break over our sin because it is adultery against God. It is us saying, I want my way, not yours, God. Our sin contributes to a a broken relationship with God. And yet, God remains faithful to his covenant with us. He says, I will continue to love you and pursue you like a spouse ought to. Because that's the picture of what marriage is meant to look like. There's a, a second part of this story. Um, it's a little bit, we'll be a little bit quicker on this. And what we see is, is how the disciples react. And so in, in response to all of this, the disciples say to Jesus, they say, if this is the case, then it is better not even to get married at all. I'm not sure if they, they were not listening to, to Jesus about his good design for marriage, but they're just like, we... We give up on this marriage thing. I don't know. They, they, they don't know what to do with it. They say, it's better not even to get married at all. And, and I think I would look at this and be like, you guys, are, you guys were not listening at all. And Jesus, actually, he, he patiently walks with them, and he gets into this story about the, the eunuchs. I bet you didn't think that we were talking about eunuchs when you came to church today. Um, so we, we, we see in verse 12, Jesus says this. He says, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's probably a little bit confusing, right? Let me help clarify it. The consensus that this, uh, on this from commentators is that Jesus is talking about singleness. He's talking about singleness here. So if you're not familiar, I won't get into the the great details about this. Eunuchs were people who were castrated to uh, abstain from sex. Jesus is not advocating for people to castrate themselves. That's not the point here. But he is using this example of those who remain single, who abstain from being in a relationship. And what he says is for those who are single, use that for the advancement of the kingdom of God. David Platt, he writes this, he says, Jesus told them that people were, that, that people were eunuchs, that is, single and pure, for different reasons, 
but that some were eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. That is, there are individuals who, for the sake of usefulness in the Lord's work, feel as if God has given them an ability to stay single and pure. Even for singles who desire to marry someday, there is still a secondary application. If you are single, maximize your singleness to advance the gospel. More of your time and attention can be given to the Lord. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. There, there are some of you who are single and you may not desire to be. Others who, who are single, you may be okay with that. And whether you desire it or not, how can God use you for the kingdom now? That's Jesus' encouragement here. Don't hate your singleness. Jesus says leverage it like a resource for the sake of the kingdom of God. Jesus was single. Paul was single. And they both used their singleness to share the gospel around the world that, that the kingdom of God was here. As we wrap up, we see that the gospel transcends relationship status. It says, whether married, engaged, single, divorced, remarried, Jesus came to die for your sins. Christ lovingly came for his bride, the church. An unfaithful church that continues to seek her own way. And God is patient with her. He desires that church come back to him. He always has been faithful and always will be and so with the love of Jesus, seek unity in your marriage, seek the kingdom of God in your singleness, and seek the things that God loves as his bride, the church. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.